When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Friday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is our Browns 49ers preview. We have a packed show for you, as always. Lance Reisland will be in with his film study of the 49ers. Uh, Tyler Shoemaker is going to give us his best bets for the week, his Browns pick for this game. All of that stuff, that's coming up. But first, Mary Kay is here. Ashley is here. And we are going to – actually, we usually do, like, three things to watch, but – Sometimes timing is everything, and we happen to wait long enough to record this to the point where we can say pretty definitively, Mary Kay, that Deshaun Watson is not expected to play in this football game on Sunday. It will be P.J. Walker. Of course, it was trending that way, but this is the obviously most firm firm way we can say it, I guess, uh, that we know more now than we did a couple hours ago. And then, of course, maybe by the time some people hear this, uh, Kevin Stefanski will have officially ruled Deshaun Watson out on Friday afternoon. But, um, you know, Mary Kay, like I said, it was trending here. It's not a shocker, but how much of this do you think was the fact that the Browns just needed to have a decision and needed to make a decision on this as early as possible? Well, I think that has a lot to do with it. And I've talked to um, a number of people over the last hour or so. Uh, and and the best that I could uh, report tonight, even though one person told me point blank that Deshaun is not playing, I just have to be rock, rock solid on that. And unless I hear it, you know, from, you know, the player or the team or somebody like super closely connected uh, with the player, I, I don't feel super comfortable going with you know, is definitely not playing. Um, but the truth of the matter is he, he's not going to play the game. Um, and, you know, I think there were a lot of factors that went into it. The first of which is the fact that he doesn't have it yet. He just does not have what he needs in that arm. And then I think two other factors are that he doesn't, he's, he wouldn't have Joel Batonio and David Njoku in this game. And I, I think that they're, there is some concern about that, about him being able to be protected when he's not 100%. And he is already, I mean, that's your $230 million man, right? Like, if you don't have Joel Batonio out there against the likes of Eric Armstead and Fred Warner and Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave, you know, you're, you're putting him in harm's way when, when his arm is already compromised, So, you know, I have one more story to write tonight, and it's going to be kind of a little bit more about that and about how I think that there, you know, there is a chance that that factored into this decision. Yeah, and and that's an interesting dilemma, right? Because I think I think a lot of people, a lot, you know, a lot of us are wired like, well, if you can play, you got to get out there and play. But it is reasonable, Ashley, if they're looking at this and saying the guy's already hurt, he can't be effective throwing the football and He's got to face maybe the best defense in the NFL with a great pass rush. I think it is reasonable to factor that into this decision. And to just add to what Mary Kay said, think about how much they've been using David Njoku to help chip block on Dewan Jones's side. Like it feels like he's had to do that so much more. I think like when we've we've obviously had these discussions about David and his involvement in the past game, and it just feels like he hasn't really been getting a ton of opportunities there. I mean, Dan, I know you and I like think that's why we've talked about that. You've asked him about it. Um, so I definitely think that should be a part of it. Because even like today, I'm wondering, you know, when we or yesterday especially when we found out, you know, David Njoku wasn't practicing, even then, like for him, the tight end, not the quarterback, the number one tight end. I'm like, if this is bad, obviously, right? Kevin Stefanski called it a serious injury yesterday with the burns that he suffered. 
Like, why did they have him play as many snaps as they did against the Ravens when they didn't have Deshaun and the game got out of hand so fast? Like, I think it's really easy in hindsight to look at that. And this is more of a proactive decision to not put him in a bad position to risk further injury. Uh, But like for me, I think the biggest question and like just looking back at my notes from that Tennessee game, you know, when he got hurt, like he did stay in that game after it. The next drive he completed, I think when I look back, he was like five of seven on passing and had a nice little like 15, 16 yard completion to Amari Cooper on the drive. When you watch the hit that everyone's saying the injury happened on, he didn't really react in real time. So that, that for me is the confusion, and I think we're not going to clear any of that up until we hear from Deshaun himself about what went on and what the setback was, if there was one. Yeah, look, this is still all weird, okay? Like, this is still all – this is just one of those things I don't know that we're going to get answers on for a while uh, because he was medically cleared to play, right? Like, that was what we were told. He thought he was going to play in the Ravens game. Kevin told us he was medically cleared to play. Uh, but then there became this debate about medically cleared and functionality and all you know, a bunch of semantics and, and all this stuff. And Mary Kay, here we are now two weeks later and he's still not going to play. Um, you know, maybe part of that is like what, what you were getting at, what we just talked about. Maybe they learned something from 2021 when they just kept running Baker Mayfield out there over and over and over again. And that was to everyone's detriment. Um, this, this is kind of the opposite of that. So Maybe. I mean, maybe that's part of it. So I don't know. It's it's still weird. It's still confusing. But at least there's clarity now as they go into this Friday and and they kind of know how to prepare for this game. Yeah, you know, sometimes and, and I'm sure this is not the case. I'm sure this is not the case. But how many times have we had, you know, a guy suffer an injury and they'll say, no, I didn't have a cracked rib. And then after the season or, you know, eight games later, they say, oh, well, yes, I did have a crack, cracked rib. You know, sometimes uh, you don't give all of the details about something uh, when you don't have to. And I'm, I'm guessing that this is not anything that is, you know, structurally damaged because they've been so insistent that it's not. But at, at, at the very least, the bruise must be more extensive than they originally thought it was because he thought he was going to play. And I wonder if they went back in there during the bye week and did another MRI and found that, you know, that there was more bruising than they thought, you know, once the swelling went down a little bit and once the fluid dissipated a little bit, maybe they, they figured out that there was a little bit more um, bruising in there than they thought that there was. So somehow, things, the narrative changed along the line. But as I was sitting here thinking about this, you guys, this is going to blow your mind like it just did mine. When we looked ahead at this game in only week five of the season, right? In week five of the season, um, you know, we anticipated that the San Francisco 49ers, a very good team, we didn't know before the season they were going to be this good this season with Brock Purdy coming off of an injury and whatnot. Um, But when we thought about this game, we thought that they would have Deshaun Watson, Jack Conklin, Joel Batonio, Nick Chubb, and David Njoku. I mean, think about that. If you add up all the Pro Bowls, and in some cases, all the All Pros from that group, uh, it's pretty extensive. So your best play, all of your best players on offense are basically sitting out this game except for Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper is the only like multiple Pro Bowl player who is still playing in this football game. And it's it is just not the game any of us expected that this was going to be. Yeah, and like sometimes this happens in the NFL a team just has a year where like on one side of the ball like everybody just gets hurt and when you have like Conklin is done for the year, Chubb is done for the year. I mean, those are major injuries. And now you add in, you're going to play your second game here without your starting quarterback. Um, you've got a rookie right tackle. Um, and now, 
I mean, the Joel Batonio injury for all this Deshaun stuff, the Joel Batonio injury is like the most shocking mm-hmm. of it all. Like he, he has, he has reached that status where like Joel plays and I'm still not convinced that he's going to be out in this game. And I know, you know, we can get into that a little bit, kind of what we've seen, but like, this is starting to shape up maybe is one of those seasons where just on one side of the ball, the injury like doesn't help them. But the flip side of this, Ashley is like, okay, this was going to be a tough game if you were fully healthy. So if a few guys miss this game and then you get them back moving forward, when you've got the Colts and you've got like, I don't think the Seahawks are any kind of picnic, but you've got the Colts coming, you've got the Cardinals coming, you've got teams on your schedule that you're going to be favored against that you should beat. Um, you can make up for this. So if you get those guys back and get them healthy, obviously aside from Conklin and Chubb, there, there's still a chance. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why, like, it's almost like if it's like that, that I'm trying to think domino effect almost, right. Like that we kind of hinted at earlier, like why play Deshaun when, you know, he's still not a hundred percent and some of that protection's not there. This would give them all like a chance to kind of heal up even more. Now, I think, like, unfortunately, that's typically what a bye week is for. And again, they burned that bye week. Obviously, that's no choice of theirs. But I think this is something that could very well come up again, like, 10 weeks from now or so. You know, it's just so long that they have to go without a real break. And again, they don't have that mini buy that the players call it um, until the last week of the season at this point, because they're not scheduled to play a Thursday night game. If as long as nothing happens and it doesn't get flexed, which is also a possibility given that it's week 17 um, until week 17. So I think that all of that being said, like what you said at the top, like this game had the potential to be, such good billing like it could have been so intense and especially if the Browns had won you know one more game before the bye if they were healthy because of how well the 49ers are playing because of how good both of these defenses are like there still is some intrigue but right now it just feels like if you're even missing one of those guys it's like man that's that's a tough assignment against this team in particular yeah, I mean, Mary Kay, this was supposed to be a measuring stick, right? Like, we, as we looked at this schedule, obviously there were the division games. But then you kind of looked at it, and you're right. I don't think we knew San Francisco was going to be 5-0 and because of some of the questions at quarterback. Like, we didn't know if Sam Darnold was going to be starting at quarterback. But we did know that this was going to be a good defense. It was going to be a game in Cleveland. Like, this was going to be a measuring stick and a chance to kind of put yourself on the map. And I think the unfortunate part of this is – we all kind of get robbed of that a little bit. Like, even if – look, we'll get to our picks later. Maybe there is a world where the Browns do the unthinkable and win this game. But it, I feel like it doesn't tell us anything about this football team if they go out on Sunday and lose by two scores. I, I just – I don't know. Some of it depends how it looks. Like, if the defense gets gashed, that would be concerning. But I, I don't know. I don't know how much this game is actually going to tell us at this point. No, I mean, I think it will tell us something about the defense, but if the offense is struggling and not staying on the field, and if P.J. Walker is throwing interceptions the way Dorian Thompson-Robinson did, and if they can't function on their side of the ball, it spills over to the defense. So I don't even know if we'll have a really great handle on what the defense is all about if the offense cannot complement it. And it really is just amazing to me to look at that lineup of players that you thought that you would have for this game and see that none of them are going to play. I mean, really, if you once you get past David Njoku at, at tight end, I mean, there's a such there's such a significant drop off uh to to Harrison Bryant and Jordan Akins to the point where when David had horrific burns on his face against the Ravens. They played him for 48 snaps, 70% of the snaps. And the other two guys played only 15 snaps and 12 snaps. That tells you what you need to to know. And again, a lot of that is because of the blocking and they need him right now. He is their best blocking tight end, but it really takes away a weapon in your passing game as well. A really good weapon in the red zone and in the end zone. And in a game like this, you're going to have to do everything you can to score and to keep pace. And and now I I just I don't see a world in which they're going to be able to really win this game unless the defense scores two touchdowns or something like that. Um I don't I'm not feeling it. I'm not seeing it. 
And it's unfortunate because this should have been just a, a phenomenal matchup between two really good teams. I want to ask this, Mary Kay, real quick, because this is the, the next question with Deshaun. Um, are we doing this again next week? Or Maybe. are we going to get through this week, this Sunday and it's like, okay, we're getting back to normal? Well, I'll tell you what. I would have thought, sure, we're getting back to normal. But you know what? When I talked to the orthopedic surgeon, who was nice enough to, you know, to just give me a bunch of time to talk about this injury, uh, he told me point blank, his name is Dr. Clint, I think it's Sapi, from the Cedars-Sinai Curlin-Job Institute in Los Angeles, and he is the orthopedic consultant for the LA Galaxy soccer team as well. And he, um, you know, he said this is a two to six week injury. So when we get to Sunday, uh, that will be three weeks from the day that Deshaun first suffered this injury, three weeks. So he could still have three weeks to go before he's fully healthy. And once again, like I said before, uh, like I have said before, is that um, sometimes these guys have an entourage that makes sure things go the way they want them to go. Sometimes decisions are out of their hands a little bit. And if your entourage and your team wants to make sure you're not putting yourself in harm's way, then they'll, they'll jump in and get involved and say, no, 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 you're, you're, not, you're not playing until that thing is fully healed. You're not going to go out there and put yourself at risk. Um, so, you know, I'm not really sure if we're going to be doing this next week or not, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, let's talk about the other really significant injury, and, and that is Joel Batonio. Um, Ashley, this is a guy that, you know, obviously, look, look, Joe Thomas set this standard, right? And Joel, early in his career, dealt with injuries, had an ankle injury that kept him out one year, had the Liz Frank injury, I think that was 2016. I can't remember exactly when that was, uh, but he, he got hurt against the Patriots, missed the rest of that season, has not missed a snap since. And there's really been sort of this like culture of we're going to play every snap on this O-line. And I remember, you know, JC Treader playing through that nasty high ankle sprain. Um, you know, Joel does not miss snaps. He has only missed snaps in that playoff game when he had COVID and couldn't play. He hasn't missed a regular season snap since that Liz Frank injury. This would be really significant if Joel gets to Sunday and he can't go, not just because of what he means to this team on the field, but just because of who he is. And he sort of has carried that torch uh, that the Joe Thomas and of course he played alongside JC Treader who was doing the same thing. Those guys just did not miss snaps. Yeah, I mean, anytime you talk to those guys like Joel or Wyatt or Jack Conklin, you know, when he's healthy, like they always anytime injuries come up in any capacity, like I know I've talked to them about, you know, injuries to like Jed Wills, for example, or Ethan Posick, right? Like injuries that were not even theirs individually. They always talk about like how important that is in the room to try to fight through and grind through those things. And, you know, they'll be the first to tell you like offensive linemen are always banged up. It's just the nature of their position. They're slamming into other human beings, you know, 300, 200 something, you know, pound human beings every single week. And they almost always have something wrong with them. Let's <laughs> the game start. So it would have to be like something I think so significant for Joel to miss, like not just given the the little start and snap streak that he had going, but like just because that's how this room and this unit has grown to operate. And like you said, I mean, I think Joe Thomas had a lot to do with that. And, you know, when you talk to Joe about that snap streak, he like recognizes how lucky he is that it went on before. When I talked to him before the Hall of Fame, you know, induction this summer, and he's like, imagine if I had had like a shoelace break in my second year and didn't know what I was doing and had to come out and fix it. Like random things can happen. But I think what these guys can control, which is their availability due to injury, this offensive line really, really, really tries to be in control of it. So it's definitely like, it's huge if he's not out there. So Mary Kate, when, when you look at Joel, um, obviously just, we know what he is and we know what he represents. So, I mean, even though we didn't see him today on Thursday, he didn't talk to us his normal Thursday press conference. Do you think there's still a chance that he could get out there and play on Sunday? You know, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no just in the same way that, um, you know, we kind of had to put our thinking caps on and trust again our eyes and our judgment about what we've been seeing. The fact that we haven't even seen the whites of Joel's eyes since 
uh, since we saw him walk out on crutches last Wednesday means that I don't think he's going to play. And I do think that's a big deal. I think it's a huge deal. But the weird thing about it is, is that he left that game seeming fine. I mean, if if you were telling me that Ethan Posick wasn't playing in this game, I would be like, okay, I saw Ethan, Ethan walk out with a full brace on his right knee. But not Joel. Joel talked after the game. He seemed fine. We have photos of him after the game laughing and joking with Jadavian Clowney on the field. He just looked totally fine. He, we never saw him leave the game. I, like, what happened? What happened here? Um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the deal is. It is some kind of a, a knee injury. I don't know if he had a little procedure on it or something. I, I don't know. And uh, it is shocking. I know it's really hard for you, Dan, to believe that Joel can't play in this game. I know you're struggling with it. I, I I mean, like, it's unbelievable. You know, like Joel is that guy that, like I said, he does not miss snaps. He just right. does not. And it was, it was the same with Joe. I mean, I'll never forget. And obviously Joe's streak was much longer, but Joel's was, Joel's was getting up there. Um, I'll never forget seeing Joe go down. I think all of us in that press box was like, no way. That's right. not Joe on the ground. Like right. I even think as we were writing about it and interviewing him after the game, it's like, no, this isn't real. So I mean, it's just, it's, it's what those guys have come to represent. Like I said, Joel, Joe, JC, we talked about it. It felt like they were really pushing Jed in that direction. We've seen Jed become a guy that'll play through injury. Now, Ashley, you were, you mentioned that a little bit. Um, like it, it's just the standard that this group has set. So it'd be really surprising if, uh, if he didn't play for sure. But you're right. I mean, like if he can't go, he can't go. I know. And you know, it's hard for me to believe too. And so I think we're kind of hesitant to to really say, no, Joel's not playing, but uh, just because of, like you said, of who he is. But I, I don't think he's going to play. I, I don't think he's going to play as hard as that is to believe. I, I think something's up with him and he needs to sit this one out. Okay. We are going to take a break. And then on the other side, Lance Risen will give his film study. Tyler Shoemaker is going to give you his bets for Sunday. And then we'll be back to make our picks for Browns 49ers. And welcome back to the Orange and Browns podcast, our Browns 49ers preview. We welcome on Lance Risen. Lance, how are you? Dan, how are you, bud? Doing well. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, I do want to talk a little PJ Walker with you. We'll do that at the end. Um, as we, uh, so stay tuned for that, everybody, but let's get into this 49ers football team. Tell me about them on the offensive side of the ball. Well, they do a bunch of different things, but I, once again, I'm going to start off the podcast with like the same thing I say all the time, but he really does a great job of players over plays. So you're going to see when you break down the film, everybody talks about Shanahan being so good offensively, which he is. But when you break down the film and I got a chance with the bye week to break all five games down. They're really, they run schemes everybody else runs. He just does such a good job of window dressing, eye candy, and making things look differently. But up front, they, they do what everybody else does. Uh, they have some tweaks here and there, but they just do a really good job of making sure the right people um, touch the ball. But the number one thing that I, I think that you know people are going to want to see is that they use motion with a purpose. And you're going to see them in the game, they motion late and they motion fast. And their motion adds to their run game, so they get more people at the point of attack. They create great angles in the run game, and they also motion and create great big windows uh, for Purdy to make easy throws. So that motion with a purpose is so good by them, uh, and it's late and it's fast. Uh, and they, you know, they have a new, mo- they kind of uh, mastered the motion where they're going to motion towards the sideline, and that is opening up such middle of the field stuff right now for them. Um, so that's the first thing is that that. Um, that motion and motion with a purpose. You know, it's it's funny you bring that up because if people want to see an example of that, you don't have to wait long in that Cowboys game. Go watch like their third play or their fourth play. And they motion Yushik, Jushik from like an inline tight end. And on the snap, he motions behind Brandon Ayuk to the sideline. And if you watch, it, it draws the safety with, uh, with, with Jushik. And then Ayuk is wide open over the middle. There's nobody there. Uh, and they also create a really nice throwing lane for Purdy. So if people are listening to this, they're like, show me an example. Just go watch that Cowboys game and go like three plays in. And, and you'll see a prime example of exactly what you're talking about. 
And the thing that you'll really like when you break down that play, I have, I have an article coming out on that, you know, soon is that in the next couple of days is that that play I broke down as he goes in motion, Ayuk um, obviously runs that middle, but what it does is it bumps Gilmore out because he's the corner Pierce, the, the linebacker, uh, the uh, strong safety linebacker. He get he, for some reason, because the motion goes late and fast and hard, he takes, I usually like, man, everybody else is in cover four. Then they do a really good job, the finer details, of releasing McCaffrey other way, which takes Vander Esch to the left. And then you have that huge window. So the details of where they release people and how they do things, uh, it's next level. They're, they're, he's really, really good at it. Okay, so, well, let's talk about the Browns real quickly, just as far as that motion is concerned. How do they make sure that they don't get caught in this? Because obviously they're saying the right things, right? Discipline, fundamentals, patience. But I'm sure every other team that has faced the 49ers have said those same things, and yet somehow the 49ers still get them. So what is it that the Browns' defense needs to really make sure they do so they don't get caught with this stuff? Well, I think the first thing you do as a, as a defense coordinator, all coaches, is that you want to be very pretty vanilla against them. The Browns' defense is talented enough where they don't have to create pressure with linebacker blitzes or double cover people in the secondary. It doesn't mean they won't get beat. But I think that's the first key that the Browns will have success. And I do think they're going to have some success against this 49er offense because they're going to be in man coverage. So those motions don't affect um, them as much. In the pass game, it doesn't affect them as much because they're not going to try to widen windows with the motion. In the run game, when they try to add extra people or they try to create angles, the Browns will be in a base 4-3-4-4 look. Uh, so, you know, depending on the nickel, they go dime, whatever they want to have in that second level. But because the Browns can be vanilla and still be very good in a basic defense, that should give them um, a chance to really be competitive because they don't have to do anything special. They have to play man coverage and they have to read their keys. I think the line defensive line has to play a little bit uh, more discipline and maybe not get upfield, but that's their identity. So go get it and, and, and just play football and read your keys and don't adjust to everything. Just play base and, and uh, see what happens. Tell me about Brock Purdy. What makes, why is he having so much success? Well, it's, he's, you know, everybody always says about systems and, and, and I think that one of the most overrated things is like a system quarterback, like Mahomes was a Texas tech air raid system quarterback, good quarterbacks are good quarterbacks. What he does though, is that I think he, from 20 yards in, he's very, very good. He has a great understanding. The ability to process is as good as it gets in terms of one, two to three in a quick amount of time. The other thing he does is he has a really good run game and he has a really good offense coordinator that gives him some easy throws. He gives them some gifts, I like to call them. So you're going to see maybe in that first drive that he they have a run play called. He's just got an out route to Debo. That's an easy play for an NFL quarterback. So you get these gifts, you get these easy routes, which is going to then build confidence. He's also got dynamic playmakers. So again, they use motion, which is going to be my second and third point in terms of what they do well. But these motions create these big windows. And then he's playing at a high level. He delivers the ball on time. He's got great accuracy, great anticipation. Um, he, he puts the ball where people can run with it. So there's a lot that makes him successful. I think the Browns got to make him push it downfield, as, as weird as that sounds, because he gets in a rhythm when he's throwing 20 and under. So what else do we need to know about this offense? Well, there's two things. One is I, they do such with that motion, they do such a good job of marrying the pass and the run. So you're going to see them run power, counter, things like that. And then they're going to use that same action and create some big plays downfield, either with the RPOs, with Ayuk or, you know, a, a bunch of their other guys. But, you know, because they use so many different things and so many different formations, everything looks the same. So those counters and those powers and those zones, they all look the same. They look the same, and then they use that as pass protection, which gets that second-level linebackers to step up, which is something the Browns have struggled with because they're being so aggressive, and that creates the big windows in front of the safeties. So I think, you know, with the Browns' one high hat, those linebackers have to be disciplined and make sure they're not – overreacting and making sure they're getting in their drops after they repass. And then just all those weapons. Uh, I mean, Kittle, McCaffrey, Ayuk. I, I mean, it's just, you mentioned it. Kyle does such a good job of getting the ball in the hands of those weapons. Uh, is, is that kind of the other thing to, to keep an eye on here? Yeah, it's personnel flexibility. So not only does he have great weapons, but they use. So when I break it down, when I break down a film, it's just like when I, when I was coaching, you know, you do catches and receptions for these guys. There's always, there's always guys, so Debo Samuel and McCaffrey, these are touch guys. And I really like that out of Shanahan. He's not worried about where they line up, backfield. Sec, you know, obviously you have to be a special athlete to do that. But you're going to see down by the goal line, they have the fullback, Yushek out at, in the slot, 
They have McCaffrey runs a, 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 a kind of a motion to get the linebacker out. They fake it to Debo. They run a run pass option. They throw a slant to the fullback. So they have such position flexibility. Um, and then Purdy can, you know, he can absorb everything. Uh, but yeah, that position flexibility, the ability to do different things, uh, that eye candy they create, uh, the motions, the shifts, uh, just the ability they change tempos at time. Uh, they have they have some good receivers as long as some in. They have a great tight end. You know, no one talks about Kittle anymore, but Kittle might be the best blocking tight end in terms of like outside zone and getting to that second level. He's outstanding. So he catches the ball well, but he sets the edge. So the Browns are going to have to set the edge too because obviously we know with him and Williams they have a great you know the best left tackle in football. So they have their hands full. But again, they don't have to do anything special. They just have to play special. They don't have to make any schematic changes. They just got to play. Uh, the way they're capable of. And I think they have a chance if they can do that. You say you should way better than I do. Good job on that. You know, no, I try. <laughs> actually, it's, I try. You look at it. And it's like, how does it sound like that? But no, I was because, you know what? And the funny thing is, is I had to talk about him all week because I think he's the most underrated guy in that offense. He does so much. He gives him a true fullback. He can line up at receiver. He runs screens well. He gets out in front well. He's a piece. He's a puzzle piece that really kind of fits in for what they want to do because he could do so many things. So they have three guys that can line up anywhere, which gives them incredible flexibility. Okay, let's move to the other side of the ball. Let's start here. What is the weakness? Where where can the Browns attack this defense? Well, I think in the secondary. And once again, when we talk weakness with this 49er defense, it's relatively speaking to their linebacker crew and their defensive front. They're still really good, but I think you can attack some of these corners. Um, they've had a bunch of different guys in there, but, you know, like Isaiah Oliver, uh, the Ward kid, Lenore kid, they're all good players, but I think they benefit um, from having such a great pass rush and having uh, the ability to stop the run and they play some different coverages and things like that. But if you're going to attack, um, that's where I think you can attack. You can attack outside, um, get the ball in space, make those guys tackle. Uh, the problem is, is that those linebackers run so well and they kind of protect those guys um, from having to be on islands and things like that. But if you're going to attack the 49ers, I think you have to do it uh, in the air, regardless of who the quarterback is, because you cannot just continuously pound the ball against them. You can, but you got to be mixed and you got to be balanced. I am blown away by Fred Warner, me and everyone else in football. And that game Sunday night was just a great example. And, you know, I heard someone reference this play on another podcast I listened to, and it just reinforced that I was so impressed with it. The play, the play where he's going after Dak and Dak tries to pump fake him. And mm -hmm. Warner stays under control. He doesn't bring his arms down and hit Dak in the head and get a roughing call. He doesn't fall. He, he lands in a spot where he can still get to him. It was just, it's things like that that show you why he's different. Cause I bet nine out of 10 guys, either just, they get pump faked out of the play. Or like I said, their arms come down on Dak's helmet and they get a cheap roughing call or something like that. I, I mean, just how, this is such a stupid way to ask this, but I'm going to do it anyway. How, just how good is Fred Warner? Well, I think that, you know, the thing is, that is really scary is you get these combination guys who are not only freakishly athletic and run around, but that to me is 100% film study. So if you watch Dak, and, and I've gotten an opportunity to watch it for some reason, crossover with the Cowboys, when he scrambles, one of his things he does when he scrambles is punt fake. So that tells me that those guys are watching a ton of film all week. They're saying to themselves, hey, listen, if he scrambles, run through him. You know, do, do not fall for the fake, run through them, get your hands up, do not leave your feet. So that's the attention to detail that I think Shanahan is really kind of mastering over there. It's not anything different than anybody else is doing, but you called it. Nine out of ten linebackers, because they're so aggressive and they're trying to make a play, they will jump and, and get a hit in the head and all, or, you know, whatever it is, or they miss, and, he, and then you get to continue to play and make a big play. So to me, that's not only athleticism, but that's attention to detail in the film room and on the practice field. Uh, and then that Greenlaw guy, he's, he's a lethal weapon out there. That guy runs around and he hits everything that moves. Um, they kind of have the same vibe that the uh, that the uh, Browns defense have. They have a great front and those linebackers run around. Uh, their, their linebackers um, I, maybe don't blitz as well, even though you know he's a really good blitzer. But they're a little bit bigger than the Browns linebackers, and they play great in space. They play great uh, tackle to tackle. Um, again, they benefit from a good defensive line, and obviously Bosa makes that whole thing go. But without question, the leader of that defense is Wagner. Okay, you mentioned Bosa. Um, Browns fans have seen him wreck games before. I'm thinking specifically in 2019. So tell me about the rest of that line. We know about, you know, they signed Javon Hargrave. Um, 
you know, I know that the kid from USC got dinged up a little bit um, in their last game. I haven't seen an update on him as, as we're recording this, but tell me about the rest of that defensive line and how they complement Bosa. Well, they got Farrell, who's the other DN, real long kid, another kid that has great length, um, kind of that traditional four. They got Armstead and Hardgrave, like I said. I think Hard, you know, they kind of give you that. Uh, again, I like Hardgrave. If you went back to uh, uh, a long time ago, I looked at my notes. You and I talked about Hardgrave as possibly a, a pickup for the Browns because of what he does. He's so he's really good against the run, but he fits this mode of like the 49ers Browns where they're 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 identity is getting upfield, getting the hands on, but, you know, taking care of gaps and, and being super aggressive when they're doing things. So he's been a huge pickup. Um, I really like Armstead again, kind of fits that, you know, there's a lot of similarities to these defenses in terms of having elite guys at all three levels. Um, you know, the thing, the difference right now is that the 49ers are doing it all the time and the 49ers are getting complimented by their offense and their special teams, which is my last point, special teams. Moody hasn't missed a kick. They're averaging 46 yards a punt. And Ray Ray McLeod averages 10 yards, 10.69 to return. So they're doing all three things together, and that's why that defense is so good. Okay, let's flip this to the Browns because you've been doing a lot of work on P.J. Walker. So what can Browns fans expect out of P.J. if he does, in fact, start on Sunday? Well, there's a couple of concerns and there's a couple of things. First of all, he's a competitor and he's real. So the game I watched first was the uh, Panthers lost to the uh, Falcons 37-34 last year. So he plays in that game. They have a real – Carolina ran the ball really well, but he plays with a lot of poise. He plays with a lot of confidence. He's got a similar skill set in terms of he can move out of the pocket. He had a big run in that game, big 20-yard run. But he threw for 317 yards on eight, with 18 completions. But that takes you into my concerns. He he left a lot out there. And, you know, the problem is his – I think his number one talent is he's got incredible arm talent. So he can make all the NFL throws. The problem is – and I know we've said this before, but he doesn't get all the reps. So sometimes when you have incredible arm talent but you're not getting all the reps, you got to kind of go back to fundamentals. So he misses some easy, easy passes that kind of could have beat the Falcons. Um, so the other thing with that arm talent, there's a number of times he's not seeing, um, he's, uh, his decision-making is questionable. And when you look at the decision-making, it's more reps than it is not understanding. You can see that he sees it, but it's that game speed. So they run some RPOs where the safety, uh, he doesn't see double coverage one time he throws into double coverage. He has a pick. Um, he does not see it. And then the other thing he does is that he trusts his arm too much at times. And with the offense being where it is, they can't turn it over. So that would be my only concern is that he really trusts his arm. So that confidence is kind of one of his strengths, but also kind of probably his biggest weakness because he tries to squeeze things in when they're not quite there. And, and, and the windows in the NFL are small anyway. But, boy, on film, there's some – when you watch the All-22, there's some real questionable throws – um, into tight windows. But that being said, he also makes some really good throws into tight windows. So it's that fine line uh, of making sure that he is not stretching it too much. Uh, but they're going to have to do that. And he has the ability to throw the ball downfield, which the Browns are going to have to do to win. So he has confidence. He's thrown for over a thousand yards. He had seven starts. He's had four. He has four NFL wins. You win in the NFL, you can play. So I think, you know, if he if he has to play, there's a lot to like about him. Obviously, how many reps does he have? How open? How deep is the playbook? There's some concerns there, too. So, And I think that Atlanta game was the one where the guy ripped his helmet off when he was celebrating the touchdown, and they had to move the extra point back, and that extra point would have given him the lead. That was that was a weird game. Um, it was uh, – right. and I think you said, like, the thing that you're – you know, if you watch last week, and it has nothing to do with, like, being overwhelmed. This is new. So when you watch DTR last week – there's times he looked overwhelmed. It looked so fast to him. And I could only imagine how fast it is because we watch practice and it's fast. So games just are so fast. It's not going to be – it doesn't mean he's going to play great, but the game's not going to be too fast for uh, Walker. And that's the key, I think. I think that's why they made the move as DTR gets better and better is the game's not too fast for him. He can also move his feet because they are struggling with pass protection. I think he moves his feet a little bit better than DTR right now. Uh, he can make some plays with his uh, with his feet in terms of maybe getting big scrambles on third down. Uh, but I think he does. I think he gives him a better chance right now of competing against the 49ers. All right. Well, you started the week texting Mary Kay and Ashley and me, convincing us, trying to convince us that the Browns are going to win this game. Now, obviously, the Deshaun Watson situation uh, has played out a little bit as we're recording this on Thursday evening uh, at 5 o'clock as 
people might be able to hear him sitting outside the Browns facility. There's trains going by and all sorts of things. Uh, it seems like this is trending towards PJ Walker starting, uh, but we'll, we'll hopefully get a better answer on that Friday. So all that being said, Lance, are you still optimistic? What is your pick for this game? Well, I, I, I'm going to backtrack a little. <laughs> so I am going to backtrack because here's what, here's what I think. So first of all, I think the Browns defensively because of their scheme are going to give the 49ers a lot of problems. However, with Walker starting and just being so inexperienced, I do not think they're going to be able to move the ball enough. You know, they don't have the right tackle. They don't have their tailback. They don't have their quarterback. They have, you know, there's just a lot of things that have built up and the idea of having Watson playing and being fresh, which was my initial thought. Cause I thought, I thought the shoulder was just kind of a bum thing and he was, you know, wasn't sure what it is. And he wanted to make sure I thought he's going to be fresh this week, but I do think the defense plays at a very high level. And the only thing I will say is I think it's a lot closer than people think. I think the de- the defense plays really well. I think 49ers score a couple touchdowns or field goals because they get great uh, position. And I got the 49ers 24-13 in a really close game, even closer than the score. But I just don't think the Browns right now have enough offense until Watson gets back. Okay, there we go. Lance's pick for the game. Uh, we are going to take a break. On the other side, Tyler Shoemaker will join us. He'll give us his data, his picks for the game. Then... Mary Kay, Ashley, and I will make our picks for the game. Lance, appreciate the time. As always, thanks for having me. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast, our Browns 49ers preview. Tyler Shoemaker joins us. Tyler, how are you? Good. Always, always good to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's get to it. Uh, we're going to touch on the Deshaun Watson part of this. We're actually recording. We kind of knew this was where where it was going, but um, we can pretty much say that Deshaun Watson uh, is, is not going to play on Sunday. It's going to be P.J. Walker. Those reports are circulating as we're recording this. So um, let's start here, though, with the basics. Where do the Browns rank right now in, in what you have? So the Browns are 14 overall right now. They they did take a dip after the after that Ravens game. Um, offense is, is number 16. Defense is number 13. Uh, so they they have slipped a little bit here. Uh, I was really disappointed in, the, in their performance against against the Ravens. I you know I, I thought they were going to be much more competitive than that and and potentially win the game. So um, the fact that it ended up like it did was was surprising. And unfortunately, they they did tumble a little bit in the rankings because of that. Yeah, that was the first game where the uh, the team total let us down. The, the yeah, Browns yeah, opponent team yeah, total let us down. Was not even close, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's strange because that was a game, too, where it just felt like there was one bad quarter from that Browns defense, and they played pretty well in the others. But, of course, one bad quarter sometimes is all you need. So where do you have the 49ers uh, right now? Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you guys. The Niners are <laughs> awesome. They uh, They're my number one overall team. They're my number one offense and my number three defense. So they uh they are awesome. That is reflected in, in the line, which we'll get into here in a minute. But yeah, I mean they're they're very, very good on both on both sides of the ball. Okay. So you know what? I want to go back in time a little bit. What did you when you looked at that 49ers Cowboys game? I mean, what were you thinking about that game? Because I mean, I don't think anybody expected it to be exactly. I mean, maybe a lot of people thought the 49ers would win. But I don't think they expected that type of performance. How surprising was that to you? It was pretty surprising. Um, I don't have my projection on that game handy, but I definitely didn't didn't uh, project that it was gonna gonna look like that. Um, at one point this season, I, I, I think for the first couple of weeks of the season, the Cowboys were my number one power rated team. Uh, so for the Niners to just kind of lay waste to them um, was was really impressive. Obviously, that really helped their. Um, their metrics in my model. I mean, they, they had a game grade. I'm looking, they had a game grade in that Cowboys game of 42 points above what the average uh, NFL team would be expected to do, which I'd have to look, but that's probably close to a record in in the TSI. So very, very impressive uh, performance against the Cowboys. Okay. So this line, this Browns 49ers line, you know, if people have been watching it, it started around three, three and a half, depending where you looked and it has gone up you know, kind of every day here as Deshaun Watson news has trickled out as he's mispracticed, you know, it kind of settled somewhere between five and six. Again, all of this depends where he looks. Well, now, right before we hit record, it has jumped all the way to 10 points. That is a pretty significant jump um, when you consider where it started. And really the thing that's driving that is 
just one guy, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and I, I just don't. And I let me back up by saying I'm tradi- traditionally very conservative when it comes to adjusting my numbers and my power ratings uh, due to, to injuries because in my experience, both in, in NFL and college, I think individual players tend to get overvalued from a betting perspective by the market. And I think that's that's what we're seeing here. I mean, I project this game, the, the 49ers minus six and a half, and that's you know just taking their the, these teams' power ratings, their aggregate data, factoring in, you know, uh, Deshaun's already missed, missed some time for the Browns, so that's already factored in there. And I make I make the Niners less than a touchdown favorite here. I don't understand. It's like people hear that a that a key player, generally a quarterback in particular, is out, and then they just automatically rush and bet the other side and and inflate that line. So my strategy a lot of times when when a key player is going to be out for a team, I just let that line get inflated, and then I come in on the other side and take it. Uh, I mean, I I would have bet the Browns at seven and a half here in this spot, even, you know, even knowing that Watson wasn't going to play the fact that it's up to 10 uh, definitely is, is going to be a bet for me. And that's, that's the one thing I, I do like about this game is uh, taking the Browns plus the points here. Okay. So you think, it, you think that's the play. And then what, what did you say? Like, if it does start to drop for some reason or something like that, where would you, where would your tipping point be if it starts to drop to, let's say, I think you said seven and a half, eight points. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, given that it's touch ten now, I mean, I wouldn't. If it goes back to like seven, I I probably wouldn't. Just knowing the value that you missed out on, knowing you could have had ten, so I think at this point, I would probably play it to like eight, eight and a half. Uh, that way, you get you know full full one possession uh, in your favor. And I just think having studied you know the betting markets over the last several years, like I have, this just really jumps out to me as one of these situations where it's like no one's going to give the Browns a chance to win this without their starting quarterback. The Niners have been awesome. They've been steamrolling everyone. They've been covering every game. To me, this just sets up perfectly for the Browns to cover this game. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win, but they can cover, I think. Yeah, and the other weird thing about it is, let's get into this total a little bit. So I've got it pulled up in two places. I have DraftKings has it at 36 and a half. FanDuel uh, has it down to 35 and a half. Um, you know, that to me, if if the number is that low, and I was kind of thinking this would be a low number anyway because of these two defenses, but if the number is that low, this feels like a 20 to 14 game or or something like that. It doesn't feel yeah. like a 27 to 7, you know, with, with that total. What do you think of the total? Yeah. Well, first, let me ask you, because you would, you would know this more than I would, because I, I haven't looked very far into this total other than my projection. Is there supposed to be any weather impact uh, this weekend for this game? So, yes, there is supposed to be some weather. Uh, somebody did say that they think it's supposed to clear up by afternoon, but you never really know with Cleveland weather. But right now it's saying uh, 55 for a high, some uh, an 84% chance of precipitation. Um, and it is supposed to clear up, you know, I don't have the hourly in front of me. It does look like it's supposed to clear up a little bit, but there's a chance that weather could certainly play a factor in this thing. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I project this game at 45 points, you know, given basically a clean bill of health, perfect weather, you know, that, that sort of thing. So the fact that this total is so low tells me, and again, weather, weather is another one of these things similar to injuries. And we see this even more so I think in college, but it it applies to the NFL as well. As soon as there's rumors come out that there's going to be, you know, these early week forecasts for the upcoming weekend, as soon as anyone sees that there's going to be winds over 10 miles an hour or a chance of rain, everyone starts hammering the under. And I generally kind of like I do with injuries. Like I kind of just let those lines get hammered down way too low. Again, I don't think this is going to be a shootout by any means. You know, I definitely don't have a ton of faith right now in, in the Browns offense in particular to light the scoreboard, scoreboard up. I think it suits them more to play a, you know, kind of a slugfest style of game. But still, that's a very low total. If I had to play it, I would play the over, but I, I really don't want anything to do with this total. Okay, so you said you would take the Browns and the 10 points. I don't know if there's anything else you love in this game, but if there was something else, what would you be looking at? Yeah, I I don't love anything else here. You know, 
kind of along the same lines, it, this would be kind of a, a correlated play here. So, you know, if you're into like single game parlays or something like that, you could do the Browns plus 10. And then again, going back to that, that team total, because I, I do think it's funny because I, I, I project the game at 45, but just kind of my, my brain analysis of this game tells me that if the Browns are going to keep it close, it's going to have to be, again, much more of a slugfest. You could, you could look at that Niners team total under. I don't have what that is in front of me. Um, but you could look at, you know, maybe a same game parlay and again, half a unit, quarter unit, something like that. Don't, don't play a full unit on a same game parlay. That that's, if you take nothing else from me, take that. Um, but yeah, Browns, Browns plus 10 and the, the Niners team total under probably would, would be maybe worth consideration. But again, I, I, I don't love anything else other here, other than the Browns plus the points here. I'm trying, I'm trying to see if I can find, um, the, the team total here. Here we go. 49ers team total. This is at least on DraftKings. is twenty three and a half. The Browns team total is twelve and a half. Interesting. Yeah. I again, if you <laughs> are, if you're just going to be watching this game and you and you want to play something else, that's where I would lean. But again, I I, I don't love it by any means. I, the Brown the Browns and the points are really the only thing I would feel super confident in in this game. So I, I want to ask you about one of this is a totally random betting question that I did not prepare you for just so everyone knows. <laughs> uh, but I was just I just thought of this as we're talking total. So one of the things that I know you and Doug were big on in college games last year were those first quarter. Um, was it was it first quarter totals or first quarter spreads? Yeah, the, the we, we were on the Ohio State first quarter overs and those right. things were just That's what printing money every week. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I like those two in NFL games, especially as you kind of figure out who the fast starting teams are, the teams that do great on scripts and things like that. But one of the other things I've noticed in the NFL over time is like that clock moves so fast. So you maybe mm-hmm. get two and a half total possessions in the first quarter. You know, there might be more here and there, but you know, you might get two and a half, three possessions and all of a sudden that seven and a half point first quarter total, it doesn't look so great. Yeah. Um, do you like first quarter totals in the NFL first half totals? How, how do you kind of view those? I, to be honest with you, Dan, I haven't put a lot of thought into those, uh, especially, especially this year, because to be honest, my, my time is spread a little more thin just from a content standpoint and trying to keep up with my college numbers and my NFL numbers. So I'm doing good to, to just keep my game projections updated at this point. Uh, cause I'm that's, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a one man <laughs> operation here trying to, you know, and then, you know, this week in particular, I had to do my college basketball previews and everything. So it's <laughs> a lot. Um, but to answer your question, I, I certainly think there's value in them. If you can, you know, kind of isolate those from everything else and just study that and, like you said, figure out which teams do tend to start faster. I think you absolutely can get an edge there. Uh, unfortunately for me, I just haven't been able to do that this year. And also, unfortunately, you know, Ohio State's offense can't find itself right now. So we haven't been able to go back to the well on those uh, at the college ranks. But no, certainly first, first quarter, first half, definitely worth worth a look. I will say the the times that I will look to bet the first quarter or first halves right now with my time constraint is like if the game – line say the game line is like 10 and a half or something but you can get the first half at you know sometimes it'll be like four and a half five something like that you know kind of under that touchdown mark you kind of play with more variance like okay well this team goes up a touchdown i'm i'm covering whereas the game line it, it's all about understanding the key numbers you know three seven ten etc so if you can get a, a first quarter or first half line under those key numbers when the game line might be, you know, above those key numbers, that that would be a time I would I would be interested in pulling the trigger on that. OK, let's look league wide here. Uh, do you have an NFL bet that you really love? I do like the Seahawks plus two and a half against the Bengals. Um, mentioned before, I'm a Bengals fan. They've been absolutely miserable this year. I'm not fooled by their two score win against the terrible Cardinals last week. Um, the Seahawks have been better really on, on both sides of the ball this season. So I like the Seahawks getting two and a half points against the Bengals. And then I also like a six point teaser of two underdogs, the Texans who've really overachieved in, in my opinion, much better than, than my model had them coming into the season. You can tease the Texans up to plus eight right now. And I like that with, the chargers plus eight and a half. So that, that would be a teaser I would consider for this week. Okay. That's a good one. What's your least favorite or a stay away? Well, I don't have as, 
strong opinion this week. I still don't know what to make of the Jets because they're just like Jekyll and Hyde every other week. But um, this week, I think my team to stay away from this week or my game to stay away from would be the Raiders and the Patriots. I don't, I don't really, the Patriots, man, they look, they look bad. And like on paper, they should be much better. Like my, my ratings were, were much higher on them coming into the season than what they've shown on the field. And the odds makers have kind of continued to respect them a little bit. I mean, they're, they're three point dogs here in Vegas, which, you know, says that they're Vegas views these teams basically even, um, you know, I make the Raiders a five point favorite there. So I would lean Raiders, but I, I don't want anything to do with the Patriots game right now. Yeah, that's I, I those two teams are, are tough to get a feel for, I think, too. That, that's yeah. another that's another piece of this. So um, I'm trying to find my kind of just random scrolling through bet here. Uh, it, there's a lot of totals here that are like if you're going to pick them, then one team is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting like Miami and Carolina. That total is 47 and a half. Now, obviously, Miami could score 48 on their own, but. Yeah, that feels like a, I would I don't like those games where you're looking at it and one team has to do a lot of heavy lifting. Um, Ravens Titans total is 42. Would that be an under opportunity? I do project that under. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, my, my TSI number on that game is 39. And, you know, I, I run several formulas on the side and literally I'm looking all of those unanimously are under the total on that. So that, that's a good call. Okay. Wow. I I just scrolled through and found one. (laughs) All right. Well, then we're going to stop while we're hot here. Uh, Hopefully we can, we can catch some of these. Yeah. Right. Uh, Okay. Where can people find you at Ty? Yeah. um, Follow me on X at tissue index. Uh, You can hear me uh, on Buckeye talk every Friday with Stephen means. Uh, Follow me at, um, follow my writing at vison.com. I do college best bets, NFL best bets, just different betting nuggets. So if you're interested from a betting perspective, definitely uh, read my work there. A uh, lot of, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good writers at VEASAN as well. So look forward to uh, interacting with everyone. And I've been seeing a lot of that money bag emoji on your, uh, on your Twitter feed this last week. Let's, let's not jinx. Although I, I did bet Sam Houston state last night <laughs> and then had to claim that I got hacked because they, they completely <laughs> no show. That was, that was a very bad, uh, very bad loss for me. Bad bet. We we don't need to talk about that. Okay, well, we're going to take a break here on our Browns 49ers preview. When we come back, uh, Mary Kay, Ashley will rejoin me and we'll make our picks for this game. Tyler, appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks to Tyler Shoemaker. Thanks to Lance Reisland. The time has come for us to try and predict what's going to happen in but it's really a very unpredictable football game between the Browns and 49ers Sunday, one o'clock at Cleveland Browns stadium. Uh, the weather we'll see. It could be a factor. It is supposed to be rainy and chilly on Sunday. I don't know if that'll actually be the case uh, during the game, but uh, just something to keep an eye on as we go through the weekend right now, uh, Thursday night at eight 30, the line on this game has moved all the way to 10 points. San Francisco is favored by 10. The total is 36 and a half. So I think I kind of know where I want to go with my pick here. I don't know if either of you are really convicted or, or really like gung ho about your pick, but I think I feel like I know where I want to go with this. So go ahead. I will go ahead and go first. I think the Browns are going to cover. You guys just heard Tyler Shoemaker say he thinks the same thing. I think 10 points is a lot of points. And I still believe in this Browns defense. Not enough to pick the Browns to win. Although I did say something at practice today that I'll take victory laps over if it does happen. But on the record, not enough for the Browns to win. But I think this is going to be kind of a low-scoring defensive battle. I think the Browns can turn it into that with this defense. Because they're relatively healthy on that side of the ball. Now, Miles Garrett is dealing with an injury. He went from uh, not practicing to limited. So that seems to be going in the right direction. And he's we've seen him in the locker room the last couple of days. He seemed fine. So uh, something to keep an eye on. But I think he'll be okay. I like, I like this defensive matchup. I think it is a challenge for this team. But I think this is going to be a fairly low-scoring game. And so I'm going to take the 49ers to win this game. And I'm going to say 21 to 15. I'll go a little weird with the score. 
I'll say 21 to 15. The 49ers win, but they don't cover. Look, I also like the fact that they're going across the country. It's a one o'clock start, which is 10 o'clock on the West Coast. Um, they just came off a huge emotional high. So they're kind of the talk of the NFL. We see this sometimes. A team maybe doesn't come crashing down, but they maybe don't perform at such a high level the next week. So I, I like it 21-15. Browns to lose, but still the cover. So that's where I'll go. Who wants to go next? Dan, what are you smoking? You, just, <laughs> you think it's going to be a blowout? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, okay. Two blowouts? Yeah. Okay. I think it's going to be bad. Yeah, I, I first of all, I just I don't see a close game like like what you're looking at and I don't see the the Browns defense being able to hold this offense to only 21 points. I mean, I will be shocked. Dan, you maybe you're going to be right and I'll be wrong about this, but you know, they they have put up they're averaging over 30 points per game this year and they just put 42 on the Dallas Cowboys. Um, beating them 42 to 10. So I don't know. I mean, I know the Browns have a really, really good defense, but I also think um, that the best player on the Browns defense, as we all know, is Miles Garrett. And I think that Miles Garrett is going to be running into the best left tackle that he has faced all season. And he's not always just going to be over Trent Williams but Trent is really good at his job. And I think they're going to have an answer for Miles. I think Kyle Shanahan is going to make sure that that Miles doesn't wreck the game. So they're going to ha- they're going to have Trent on him as much as they can. And they'll chip him. You know, they'll chip him. They'll do whatever they have to. And they've got so many weapons that can do so many things that if they have to chip him with somebody or do something else to slow down Miles, they have so many other different places that they, they can go with the ball. And I do think that the Ravens exposed the Browns' defense in a couple of different ways. It didn't help matters that Dorian Thompson-Robinson threw three interceptions in that game and made life very difficult on the defense. But I just don't see this being a close game. I could be wrong. I'm not feeling it. Okay. Do you want to put a score? Yeah, I'll put a score to it. Um, I am I'm going with 35 to 13. Wow, that is a blowout. That's Her a big scores one. Scores are almost identical. Okay, well, let's hear your case then, Ashley. <laughs> so, I was thinking as you were talking, Dan, and like, there's no in my mind. Like, this should be obvious from this whole podcast and what we've been talking about. There is no, like, football reason for me to think the Browns could win this game. Like, it would be something weird and, like, some of the X-Factory stuff you're talking about, right, Dan? Like, oh, it's, and you know, they have to come to the East Coast and it's really, it's going to feel like 10 o'clock to them. And they, they're coming off of a, a big win, so they underperform and they underestimate the Browns because Deshaun's hurt. And then, I don't know, I think if the Browns would make it a close game like you're talking about, they might actually win. And it would be one of those weird things that I can't predict. And I'd rather be wrong that way um, than be wrong in picking them because I just have no reason to do that. So that's number one. That should be obvious. And then I think like the, the really the thing that they have going for them in this matchup is Jim Schwartz and his success against Kyle Shanahan wrote a little bit about that today. We had a big discussion about it in the meeting room. They've met like eight times over the course of 15 years when one of them was either in a coordinator role or a head coaching role and calling the plays in the case of Kyle. Um, And Jim Schwartz has a seven and one record. Kyle Shanahan has not been able to best a Jim Schwartz defense since 2008 from what we found. So that's a positive, but I don't think that's going to be enough with all of the offensive injuries and how the 49ers are just rolling and the way that offense can use motion to kind of disguise things, I think all you need, if you're the 49ers, is to trip up a defense like a handful of times with the way that offense is rolling. And after watching that Sunday night game when they could not, they weren't even letting the Cowboys keep the ball. Like it just was insane. The time of possession disparity it was like 30 some minutes to 16 some minutes. So in my like thinking, 
I'm just like, I can't see them coming off a blowout from the Cowboys and not basically doing the same thing to the Browns, a team with way more injury issues on offense. I'm not very confident in the Browns' ability to drive the ball down the field, so I'm going to go 49ers 31, Browns 13. And that's two Dustin Hopkins field goals mixed oh. in there. One fifty plus yarder. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's Bugs? dark. But I'd rather be wrong this way. I'd rather I would <laughs> rather be wrong this way than wrong the other way. That's fair. Look, I know that feeling. I've been there before where it's like every bone in my body is giving me all the football reasons that this shouldn't happen, so that's where I'm gonna be wrong. I just I don't know. I just feel like this is one of those games where everybody kind of piles onto one side and it, and like we get to Sunday and it's like, oh, the Browns actually kind of kept it close and mucked it up and made it somewhat interesting. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to stay there. And just like super secret, I did say at practice, the Browns are going to win 18 to 16. But I didn't <laughs> I didn't have the guts to make that of my official pick. So I don't think that counts. Unfortunately, mm, no. I can't play both sides like that, I guess. No, you can't. You can't. I thought about it. I had some time to think about it between practice and when we recorded, and I still I did hear get you say that, that though. Point. Like, I know you're not just making that up. I did yeah. hear you say that. So <laughs> I give you half. I said, I think I said, I think I said something like, uh, you said, you we're said underestimating, we're yeah. underestimating the power of the unknown at quarterback, to which I was quickly <laughs> yeah. corrected. And reminded that Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, coached P.J. Walker last year. So he's not yes. that unknown. It's literally a comedy of errors. Like, <laughs> cannot make it up. Dan, I admire your I admire your optimism. Now, if, if you feel, if you have a hunch that this could be that game, like Grant Delpit said it was, Grant Delpit thinks that they are catching the 49ers when they're on their high horse. And are ready to get knocked off of it. And this is going to be their like trap game. And they're catching them right at the right time. Like they just cannot sustain this. If you feel that way, Dan, roll with it. You don't have to do it tonight. But when you actually have to make your pick, maybe you go ahead. And you You have two more chances to win. Yes, Dan has two more chances. We're recording this podcast on Thursday evening. He still has to make a written pick. And we have to do our video pick so dan one of those picks and you could have it technically on record somewhere <laughs> yeah, right. this little the, aside the, the philosophy is if you make enough picks one of them will be right yes you know and especially honestly, if you go both ways yeah. yes yes this is usually, exactly it usually my picks are like all different in different places because i just forget them by the time it's it's time to actually make them again but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens by the time I actually have to send that uh, send that picks post into the paper. You got to sleep on it, Dan. You just got to sleep on it. Yes, exactly. So that's what I'm going to let us do. Except for Mary Kay, she has like five more stories to write. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Once again, thanks to Lance Reisland. Thanks to Tyler Shoemaker for joining us. Uh, make sure you're a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Find us on Instagram, search Orange and Brown Talk, and go to YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com. Get subscribed to that channel uh, over there where you will see the next place we're going to make our picks, our picks video. That'll go up on Saturday morning. So uh, make sure you're you're subscribed to that channel uh, for all of that. For Ashley and Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks.